Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, everyone. It is the 18th of June. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in. Final day of Carmen being away. I know she's looking forward to being back in the host chair on Monday. So uh, just fun to be with all of you. It's such a great way to start the day to be in this chair talking about the beauty and wonder of God's kingdom with all of the amazing guests that are brought into this show. Variety of angles from politics to our faith journey to parenting to any number of different kinds of topics. We have a great show just like that again I had this morning, Paul, fun to be with you in studio. Thanks for the great work that you do putting oh, together welcome. this show. It's it's an unusual kind of media opportunity here at Faith Radio to sort of unapologetically proclaim the beauty and wonder of Jesus and his kingdom in a way that hopefully helps people kind of navigate their day. So fun to be with all of you. And of course, we are celebrating as a country, at least for Friday today, Juneteenth. And we'll mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that. If you're unfamiliar with what Juneteenth is, it is the celebration of the emancipation of the African-Americans from slavery in our country. And I know that racial conversations today are are very heated and for some pretty good reasons, because there's a lot of comp- competing philosophies out there about what the best pathway forward might be. I think we as believers are incumbent upon uh, creating such a pathway. It's not just about saying what is wrong with other pathways, maybe what is wrong with critical race theory or some of the other ways we're talking about as a country. We do want to do that work, but the harder work is to do the work in which we talk about, but this then is the pathway that leads us to wholeness and shalom. And I think that's going to be big work ahead of us as believers, as institutions, as the church that cares about what freedom looks like in God's kingdom, at least from a country standpoint. But one thing that we can say, and one thing that we can agree upon, is that uh, the... the um, Freedom from slavery that took place in our country is something that we can all celebrate, regardless of how we feel about existing conversations. And of course, that takes us into a bigger conversation, and that is the freedom from the power of sin and death, which really is the heart uh, of being a follower of Jesus. This is what Jesus did those 2,000 years ago, in which the entire world was enslaved to the power of sin and death. And when he walked that out to the cross and decided to say yes, to descend into those waters of death, he went into the places where sin had its final hold on us as death reigned and death ruled from the time of Moses moving forward. And in that place, Jesus broke the power of sin and death. Romans 8, the spirit raised him to life and therefore sin and death no longer had a hold on him. And those who tether themselves to Jesus as well will still be subject to the laws of sin and death in this world, in this present darkness. But that does not mean that we are enslaved to them any longer. We can shine with a different kind of life. So whatever you are doing today, wherever you are going, whether it's heading off to work, whether it's simply just getting up right now and rubbing the sleep out of your eyes, whether it is being with your kids or your grandkids, we celebrate both the freedom of the African-Americans from slavery in our country 
And every day we celebrate the freedom from the power of sin and death that we know that just as we have been redeemed in this life, we will be fully redeemed in the life to come. And we want to shine that witness in the world. Going to be a good show ahead. We're going to be joined by Adam Carrington making a special appearance with us here on a Friday morning. A lot of Supreme Court decisions came down in the last 24, 48 hours. And who better than Adam to talk us through that? Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Freedom over me. So last Monday, Adam, when we had you on the program, it was crickets. It was crickets. We were, we were waiting for some of these pretty important Supreme Court decisions, and we had you on the program, and you do what you always do so well, which is help us think through so many of these kinds of legal decisions that are going to impact us as a nation. But it was crickets. We were still waiting for some of the decisions. And then in the last 24 to 48 hours, as the Supreme Court is wont to do, a series of rulings came down, and suddenly we were flooded, and we thought, well, we better call Adam again, even though it's Friday morning. It's not your usual time. We're very glad you're willing to come join us here this morning. Uh, got glad, glad to come for round two that you'll have me. So, and yes, there is finally some, some news to not anticipate, but actually talk about. Indeed. Well, we've got uh, Fulton versus Philadelphia, which is probably going to be the most top of the mind case for us as believers because it involves religious freedoms. Talk us through what happened here and even some of what your read is about how the court ruled on this decision. Yes, it was very surprising that it was nine nothing. I think no one expected that. And the background that we've talked about this case on the show a couple times before as it was in process, this is where the uh, Catholic charity services, the, the adoption services that want, help place children in, in homes did not want to do so for same-sex couples given their religious beliefs and were in danger of losing their 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 license or their contract with the city to provide that service, service they've been providing for hundreds of years, actually, to Philadelphia. And uh, the court ruled in their favor. That's the thing to start with. They won. Uh, the Catholic uh, services are going to be able to continue doing adoption services in Philadelphia according to their beliefs. The underlying question, though, was how big of a thing would it be for religious liberty? And the 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 court went smaller as far as where where what it could have done. It basically said uh, that the the Catholic charity services, uh, since other secular groups were getting exemptions, or at least were allowed for the possibility of getting exemptions to the rules that uh, one must uh, not discriminate on the basis of, of of sexual orientation if you're contracting with the city, then uh, uh, then 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 that this this charity needs it. But the bigger question was, we we sort of have two debates about religious what what it means to protect religious liberty under the free exercise clause. The one in place right now basically says you can't discriminate against religion, but if you're treating religion like everyone else, then it's fine. So one example would be you could ban um, wine, say wine consumption on Sundays if it bans everybody, 
What you can't do is ban wine, wine consumption if it's in the middle of a religious service. And that provides protection, but a lot of people have said that's not really what the First Amendment says. The First Amendment says you can't have your free exercise of religion burdened, and sometimes a law that affects everyone the same way superficially actually specially burdens and keeps people from religious observance, like the wine ban on, on everyone. And the court, um, what, what was strange was about five members of the court seemed to say, yeah, we actually think that that broader protection of free exercise is right. We don't think this case was the right point to do it. I'm not sure. I, I'm not entirely sure why, given some of the circumstances. But um, what they did was give a minor victory for religious liberty and teased the, the, that if this lineup stays in place for a little longer, that they might even go to that bigger route. Well, I think that's uh, that's worth noting because in in such a politicization of the Supreme Court that we've been seeing with language like court packing and the idea that. Uh, the court members are just ideologues that follow certain ideas and they're always going to be divided. They really did seem to send a message that, hey, look, um, there might have been some nuances that we could disagree and agree. And this could have even gone seven to two or six to three or five to four, whatever it is. But we're sending a message about something bigger by choosing certain nuances to focus on and thus giving us a unanimous ruling. Yes, and and I was very surprised that especially uh, uh, Justice Sotomayor joined. She does right. not generally join these kind of cases. Breyer and Kagan, the other two ones you didn't think would join, were a little less of a surprise. They they've been willing to go with other narrower religious liberty cases. Uh, those who are big into the court may re remember the the cross case out of Maryland just a, a couple years ago about whether you could have a giant cross on government run cement uh, a government run cemetery and and Breyer and Kagan were willing to go there with a pretty narrow uh, ruling in favor of being pro-religion. But the fact that Sotomayor joined was very interesting. And I, I got to admit, I, I'm not quite sure why, given her past pre uh, precedent, but a 9 nothing ruling uh, for religious liberty, I think it does signal that um, there, there is a strong majority and at times even a unanimous for religious liberty claims. I know a lot of people in the audience, I'm sure, feel very under attack or under siege with regard to religious liberty. Right now, honestly, the court seems to be one of the friendlier places in the public sphere to these religious liberty claims. Yeah, let's follow up on that for a second, too, Adam. I'm glad you brought that up, is that there's probably a lot of us listening and a lot of us being a part of this that, that do feel some angst about the fact that Christianity seems to be under attack in so many different ways. But is it possible that this isn't actually going to continue to be a worse attack, that maybe the, the pendulum is going to swing back towards a little bit of a moderate view? And I think about countries like uh, Scotland, which I've lived, France, in which I've traveled, other places in Europe, and, and it's sort of a non-fussed culture at that point. There is sort of this live and let live where people, if you want to practice your Christianity, go ahead. We don't necessarily subscribe to it, but but if you want to practice it, uh, we're not going to be fussed about this whole thing insofar as we've been so fussed as a country and there has been this attack. Is it possible that the pendulum's going to swing back and then the church really might have an opportunity to sort of reconstitute itself and think, what does it mean to, to truly shine light in a culture in the midst of competing ideas? We think our idea is best, but not try to always exercise exercise social power with it. I That would be, I think, among the range of possible outcomes, probably the best one. And and, and I, I don't know, uh, based on what I've seen, if 
the temperature in other parts of society is coming down enough or the attempt to, you know, the, the phrase cancel or go after others, if that is subsiding or not, often it subsides before you realize it's subsiding. But that would I, that that would be the I think given the circumstances the the hope because I will say uh, you're going to need more than the courts. The courts in many way are a backstop to keep extreme problems from happening. You are going to need in addition to the court some element of legal or social agreement that um, people should should be able to have these religious freedoms because as much as we believe in eternal principles of justice, we need people that are willing to live by them. And that's going to take more than nine judges to make happen. Yeah, well, I think that's well said. I think to the extent that we as believers can stop maybe assuming that the way we should be exercising power in our country is through the machinations of Washington, D.C., that that has never really been the invitation of faith, that there's a power available in the kingdom that is independent of a political structure. Maybe those are some ways to help bring that temperature down just a little bit. Well, Adam, thanks so much for joining us again this morning. We're going to step away for just a moment. When we come back, I know there is another pretty important ruling related to Obamacare, and we'll get your perspective on that next. Well, that will wake up the soul this morning. I love that choice of music here, Paul, as we're celebrating Juneteenth and the freedom of African-Americans from slavery in our country, and it points to the bigger freedom of the kingdom as well. And we're joined by Adam Carrington. Adam, before the break, we were chatting a little bit about some of the possible outcomes moving forward, just socially speaking. Clearly, there is a legal ruling on this Fulton versus Philly case that will have implications for religious freedom. But I appreciated a point that you made as we circle back for just a minute when we were chatting about through the break is that... I gave a hopeful case that maybe we will start moving towards more of a non-fussed culture, meaning that, you know what, go ahead and have the freedom to express your religion in these ways. We respect that. We might be different than that. And, and in that case, Christianity really has an opportunity to shine in some different ways because it is the best of all ideas. It's the only really true idea, and it's going to win the day. But on the flip side of it, I think we have to be mindful that there's always going to be the waves of resistance in the spiritual and physical realm against the beautiful kingdom of light. And, and one of those waves tends to be in sort of the professional activism culture on both sides of the political aisle that that either real or perceived says we better change th- something. And, and we almost make a career out of being an activist on some level. And, and that just seems to always sort of fan the flames. Yeah, I think so, because then it, you're, you, you basically create a a monetary system or a a, live, a system of getting fame and fortune based on grievances based on <laughs> yeah. making the making a side feel aggrieved feel victimized and by the way people can truly be vict- victims of course, uh, yeah. absolutely that's the doctrine of sin but i do think that that operating in a way that understands that that this kingdom isn't all there is there and that God is on the throne and sovereign, and that we can, therefore, hold our politics not, uh, not uh, entire, hold it loosely, but not entirely gone. Uh, can 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 be a bit freeing, and and something that can also free us to 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 live in our own communities while still participating in the broader process in a way that I think can help uh, build the kingdom in a very important way. 
Yeah, I think that's very well said. Well, let, we've got a couple other rulings that we could talk about here, one of them being related to Obamacare. Again, we didn't see a unanimous ruling on this one, but we saw a pretty weighted to one side ruling. And this is not the first time some part of Obamacare has come before the court. So take us into this specific situation and what you see and what you read of of this is. Yes, I, th- this was whether the fact that so, so if we go back to 2012 and the Obamacare ruling, the original big one, the ruling was that it, it is uh, it was per the event individual mandate requiring purchase of health insurance was allowable because it was a tax, not a regulation, and that the taxing power was broader as far as what government the federal government could do. And the so the idea was in 2017, rather when they didn't quite have the votes to repeal Obamacare entirely, Congress and the president lowered the mandate to zero dollars so that the the penalty still in a way existed, but there was no penalty in 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 reality because it was zero dollars. So then states and others sued and said, well, if there's no real penalty or then it's no longer a tax and therefore all the other regulations of Obamacare are unconstitutional. And uh, what's interesting about this case is they actually never got to that question. And here's why. This is where I'll try not to be too too uh, boringly technical on, on legal <laughs> things. But courts have to decide two questions. Before they can decide who should win, they always have to decide, is this a case that we're actually allowed to hear? Um, they have to uh, they have to decide whether they can hear it first. And in this instance, by a seven to two vote, they said we're not allowed to hear it. And it's from something that people will probably know from some of the election lawsuit, the big election lawsuit last last um, uh, 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 December and January. Uh, it was that the, the the litigants hadn't shown the people suing hadn't shown that they had been uh, injured or that they were at risk of being injured by there being a zero dollar mandate. And and so that was what they decided on. In some ways, I think it was a punt. I think it was to some degree they didn't want to really get to the other issue. But I do think that that that, uh, you know, it's interesting that that you even got people like Justice Thomas to agree to that reasoning. So in some ways, we, we don't really know what they thought about the substantive issue because they didn't think the people that sued had a right to be there. And and that that, by the way, tries to keep from there being frivolous lawsuits about anything. But uh, uh, whether that was done right here, I think, is a closer call. Well, Adam, while we have you here, we have a couple minutes left. Let's uh, change the topic away from the Supreme Court and some of the decisions there and into what you've been seeing with our President Joe Biden and uh, some increasing tension within Catholicism and especially the leadership within Catholicism in terms of competing views of abortion. Clearly, the Catholic Church uh, is very vocal about the right to life and about that abortion is inconsistent with the kingdom, and yet Biden would politically maybe advocate for something different. So what's your read on what's going here and on, on here, and what do you see sort of in the next year ahead in this situation? Yes, and it, and that's it's been going on for a while in some form with her, himself and other uh, more liberal uh, Democratic or progressive uh, politicians that are also Roman Catholic. And I think the the there's certainly some ecclesiology ecclesiology issues that I I, I really am not uh, in in a position to touch on with with Catholicism and it's 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 what its dictates and faith are, but it does I think bring up a question broader for the church, which is 
on one hand, uh, we shouldn't want to uh, uh, be lustful for political power. At the same time, um, our the doctrine of Christianity does say that there's a moral law that is on the hearts of all people that says you shall not murder. And to what degree can the uh, can churches say, um, you know what, that 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 matters and we should be a kind of prophetic witness in some ways to that problem. And, and what can we actually do about it as far as those members in our midst that are trying that, 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 that don't agree? And I think that is a thorny question that um, the church has, hasn't been in a spot that they've had to deal with in this kind of way since really before Christianity became a kind of established religion, you know, with, with, with Constantine. Uh, it's part of that bigger, that bigger question, not so much what is just, but what do we do about what is just? It's great stuff, Adam. Thanks so much for, on short notice, coming into the show. We had so many different headlines coming through these last 24, 48 hours, and you sort of effortlessly and, and so capably navigate them in, in a way that allows us to understand some of the implications. So have a great rest of the day, great weekend ahead, and look forward to chatting again soon. Thanks for having me so much. Absolutely. We've got a lot to cover here on Mornings with Carmen today for the 18th of June. Up next, we've got Dan DeWitt joining us. We'll change the conversation to some pretty interesting headlines coming out of the Southern Baptist Convention. There's been a change of leadership. There's obviously been some concerning headlines coming out of that organization recently. And who better than an insider like Dan DeWitt to walk us through the circumstances that we see? Well, one last note, perhaps, on some of these Supreme Court decisions, and especially the one that is going to likely to be to impact us the most, or at least be most top of the mind for us as believers, and that is the win for religious freedom in the case of Fulton versus Philadelphia. Pastor Franklin Graham says that the ruling of the Supreme Court in favor of a Catholic adoption agency is a major win for religious freedom. Again, the Catholic adoption agency holds to male and female marriage only and the adoption organization wanted to exclude them from uh, the ability to adopt children because of what they saw as a very restrictive religious belief and the court came around and said no look this catholic organization does not need to change its historic stance on marriage to have access to adoption and so this really is a precedent-setting moment in our country in a lot of ways i don't think it's going to change some of the angst and some of the outrage that some sides have about this conversation, but it's nice to see a precedent come down that does protect uh, religious freedoms and specifically protects marriage as understood historically in our faith. Well, up next, we've got Dan DeWitt from Cedarville University. We'll change the conversation into some of the events coming out of the Southern Baptist Convention, including the new leader there and what Dan sees moving forward within that organization in our country. you sometimes find yourself hesitating to tell your teen the truth? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. A father once asked a counselor what to tell his two daughters after their mother abandoned their family. The counselor immediately replied, tell them the truth, protect their mother's reputation as much as possible, but make sure to tell them what happened and do it immediately. Your children will appreciate and remember your honesty. That counselor gave some good advice. Teens always want to know the truth regardless of how much it hurts. And the quickest way to lose their respect is by hiding the raw truth. So make a habit of telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. In the long run, your teen will thank you for it. 
Looking for more parenting wisdom? Go online to parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Twenty-three minutes before the top of the hour here on the 18th of June and delighted to be joined by Dr. Dan DeWitt, regular friend of the program, coming in to talk about some of the social Christian headlines. He is the director for the Center of Biblical Apologetics and Public Christianity at Cedarville University, does some work in applied theology, all sorts of fancy titles. Dan, I think it just means that you're pretty smart at the end of the day, right? I don't know. That's debatable. <laughs> <laughs> I love well, I'm glad you're here. There's uh, some top-of-the-mind things coming out of the largest religious, at least evangelical organization in our country, the Southern Baptist Convention. We've touched on it a few different times in these last two weeks uh, after the revelations of theologian Russell Moore about some of the corruption and abuse, at least in his mind and from his perspective, that was happening behind the scenes of this organization. We've also then seen a significant passing of the baton and leadership. And so maybe first of all, just remind our listeners what the Southern Baptist Convention is, as well as some of the troubling accusations that came from uh, these last couple of weeks, and then we'll keep going from there. Yeah, so um, if people are reading stories about the Southern Baptist Convention, you're likely to see the um, the letters SBC. And so this, which stands for, of course, Southern Baptist Convention. The Southern in Southern Baptist Convention stems from the fact that the denomination was founded in 1845, and it was um, founded by Baptists who were against the abolition of slavery. And so on a day like today, it's important to remember um, that sadly that this denomination has a really regrettable past, as a lot of denominations do, and the denomination has, has owned up to that and faced that and repented of that, but that is part of the story. Um, today, the Southern Baptist Convention is the largest Protestant denomination in the United States. The only religious group larger in America than the Southern Baptist Convention is the Catholic Church. And so um, that's a bit of the background. The, the Southern Baptist Convention has six seminaries, the first of which was Southern Seminary, founded in 1859, right before the Civil War, founded the same year Charles Darwin published his Origin of Species. And so it's an old denomination. It's got a bright future, but it's got some turbulent waters. It just came out of a convention, which it narrowly elected a new president. Yeah, in terms of the turbulent waters that have to be navigated, uh, what is your read on who was elected president and who was the alternative option? What do you see in terms of the implications of this? Because what happens behind the scenes in organizations this large eventually trickles into the way we think about the world as believers. These are some of the thought leaders that write the books, write the papers, go to symposiums, teach classes. That that It's usually about a 10 to 20 year gap oftentimes when new ideas finally hit popular culture, but this is the origination of them, typically speaking. So what do we see in this? Yeah, so the the Southern Baptist Convention has a pronounced influence within broader evangelicalism, not just in America, but around the world. And so I love the Southern Baptist Convention in terms of I was drawn towards the convention when I went to seminary, to Southern Seminary, ended up teaching at the seminary. Um, I ran public relations and the creative services for Southern for a few years and then became a dean um, under Dr. Moeller at Southern. So I love the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm a member of a Southern Baptist church. So I speak as someone who loves this movement, but also someone who's aware of um, kind of where 
the, the challenges have been in the past and in the present time. Really, the election, there were more than two candidates, of course, um, but I think there were a total of uh, four. Um, but there were really only three who got a sizable number of votes, and that was Dr. Mueller, president of Southern Seminary, Mike Stone, who represented um, what many would say the, the far-right extreme of the Southern Baptist Convention, and then you have Ed Litton, who um, media has kind of increasingly called him a moderate, and I have a link to a, an interview by CNN of Ed Litton. And um, when when you see that, that you know the moderate candidate won the presidency for the Southern Baptist Convention, it's not because he's moderate theologically. What they mean is between Al Mueller and Mike Stone, they see Ed Litton as kind of a, a moderating position. He's very conservative theologically, and it's even kind of funny, as Ed Stetzer said in an interview, to even use the term moderate of Southern Baptist in general, it's a very conservative movement. So what's at stake here was whether or not um, there was going to be this kind of growing faction within the denomination um, that was really concerned with making sure that we um, publicly renounce critical race theory um, to make sure that there was a very clear statement about that. Um, some people within the denomination felt like that that was a pull from the extreme right. Um, or whether we're going to be a denomination that would say, we care about racial reconciliation, even if people think that using that language sounds too close to CRT. We care about it because it's a biblical issue. And that was one of the big things that was at stake in this denomination, dealt with tone and also dealt with trajectory. Are we going to be the kind of denomination that's only known for what we're against, or are we going to be known for what we're for? And I think Ed Litton represents that, that category of we want to be known for what we're for. I think that's such an important point, Dan. And I know that uh, Lytton is somebody who has worked in the area of racial reconciliation in the past. And what you just said, I don't think we can emphasize enough within the current heat of the moment is that uh, in being against critical race theory, what we're talking about here, if somebody is against that, is, is some of the, the philosophical propositions within it, the way to understand one another as human beings, uh, j just the entire theory itself. So to be against CRT uh, is maybe one position to have, but it's much more important that if you're against something that you can then say what you are for and to say from a biblical mindset to replace something that maybe not be helpful with something that actually is helpful. It's not enough to just sit back and fold our arms and say, well, critical race theory is from the devil and then just leave it at that. There has to be a way forward because um, shalom between people, peace between people, reconciliation mm -hmm. between people is what what matters. And it seems like Lytton could maybe have a different pathway forward to replace it, not just sit back and yell at it. Absolutely. And that's, and you know, I want to be, I want to add one more word about, I talked about kind of two groups, uh, Mike Stone representing one and Evelyn representing the other. But you have to know on the floor of the Southern Baptist Convention, just because someone voted for Evelyn or someone voted for Mike Stone, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're either a part of a far right group or a part of some moderate group or something like that. People have different reasons for voting for the candidate they voted for. Some people have are, have access to a certain amount of information, others don't. And so at the end of the day, I think Southern Baptists have to move forward, not um, demonizing the opposition, but recognizing whoever, whomever you voted for, that we're now united in terms of we, we care about the authority of Scripture first and foremost. And because of that, the Bible tells us to be reconciled to God and to our brothers and sisters, to fight for justice, even as we preach the gospel. And I think Ed Litton is just a great, um, a great leader to lead the convention in a unified way of pursuing 
uh, to continue to pursue the Great Commission. Mm, I love it. Well, looking forward to see what comes out of his leadership in the months and in the years ahead. Dan, let's step away for just a second. When we come back, we'll change the topic to a pretty important Catholic Bishops Conference and some of what's going to come out of that conference related to the Catholic Church, as well as a pretty interesting marriage between new atheists and the far right. This is Dan DeWitt down here with Mornings with Carmen. Welcome back to the show. Chatting with Dan DeWitt this morning. Some of the headlines coming out of the Southern Baptist Convention. We'll change the topic now. But before we do, Dan, I know it's summertime. You work in an academic institution. That doesn't mean you're entirely off. You have some pretty interesting projects that you're working on. Yeah, I'm really excited about um, I, the Lord's given me an opportunity to write some children's books um, of recent, and it's been so much fun. And so I'm working on a children's book now, a new one for B&H Kids, um, which is the publishing house for Lifeway Christian Resources. And this will be a part of a series that's about historical Christian figures. And I was asked to do a children's storyboard book about C.S. Lewis. And I've never seen something like that before. I'm so excited to do it. And so I'll be working on that this summer. And then also I'm working on finalizing a uh, contract with New Growth Press for a book called Sketchy Views About God. And so it'll <laughs> it'll be a book that I illustrate, and it'll have sketches in it, and it will be kind of introducing um, readers to theology and how to have proper views of God. Oh, I love that. So, so, Dan, if you were to correct me this morning on a sketchy view of God that I might have, how, how would you draw that up? Yeah. Well, I, I like to illustrate for my students. I have a little a little graphic I drew a long time ago, and it has a little drawing of a um, of the Bible, and it has a little cloud in the middle which represents God. That's a biblical image of God in the Old Testament. You a cloud, and then on the other side, I have a stick figure of a person. And a way to have a sketchy view of God is to instead of starting with the Bible to understand who God is, we start with our lived experience. Mm. And if we do that. We'll come up with a um, assumption about God must be like this based on how I want God to be or how things feel, and then we'll go to the Bible and try and make the Bible fit that. (laughs) And that's the easiest way to get sketchy views of God, and we do that all the time where we're retrofitting Scripture to fit our experience. If we want to have the right view of God, we have to start with the Bible and let it challenge our assumptions. Gee, Dan, that doesn't sound relevant at all to how we often view. <laughs> God, well, I would love to have a conversation with you about that very book, especially as it's coming out. And it's so interesting to do a storyboard book of C.S. Lewis. And, and you're talking that that might be a series of historical Christian figures at the end of the day? That's right. They have a few other Christian figures to get started with. And so um, hopefully if it gets traction, there will be more to come. Um, but, you know, I've seen the like paperback um, editions for younger readers of C.S. Lewis, and it's normally kind of boring art on the front and then just text. <laughs> this will be for like a younger reader to, in a creative way, let them know who C.S. Lewis is, why he matters, and to encourage them with a basic Christian truth. And so I, I couldn't be more excited about the project. Well, I will definitely pick that up, Dan. I remember when I was doing my doctorate in world religion and practical Christianity, and I didn't know much about world religions as I was studying at the University of Edinburgh. So I went to the local children's library and picked up the big board book on world religion, and that, that was my starting point <laughs> in the PhD. So these, yep. these are maybe things we shouldn't <laughs> say out loud when we have these fancy letters, right? Well, I'm looking forward to those projects coming out. I know there's another headline we wanted to get to, and that was an interesting merging or marriage between some of the atheist movement, the new atheist movement, and the far right. People like Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens, some of this emerging with some far right ideology. What are you seeing in this headline? 
Well, so there's an article that came out with Salon.com, and the article really gives kind of a a backstory behind prominent leaders within contemporary atheism. The term new atheism goes back to a movement that started right after 9-11, kicked off by Sam Harris, who wrote a book called The End of Faith, and then later wrote a book called The Letter to a Christian Nation. But the point of this article is to say it's odd how this really secular movement has found a home within the far right wing of um, political groups and religious groups. And the point I try to make in my article is I grew up in a very fundamentalist, King James only. Um, we were only allowed to listen to gospel, you know, Southern gospel music, a very conservative background. And for someone who's grown up around that kind of religious fundamentalism, to see the new atheism, it, it smelled very familiar. <laughs> you know, you could tell that there, it was, it's dogmatism. There was no room for asking questions. And so what this article points out is that people are co-opting these new atheists at times as spokespersons for their uh, their pet topics. And in particular, to go back to CRT, um, it's interesting, even very conservative fundamentalist groups like the people we've mentioned within the Southern Baptist Convention, fundamentalist factions, have used atheists like James Lindsay um, as an ally in cri- criticizing CRT. And so it's an interesting marriage. Um, there's so much more we could say about that, but it, it if we say nothing else, it's very interesting. It is interesting because I think there is the accusation often of the far right politically or of more conservative versions of Christianity that it tends to be very narrow minded and it tends to be very dogmatic in its approach. But I don't. when you look at the different characterizations of different kinds of ways to understand the world or different expressions of Christianity, I find to be liberal movements as well as atheistic movements to be as narrow minded and as dogmatic about their point of view. You know, it's funny, I had an atheist friend say to me once, um, don't you find it extremely narrow-minded to say Jesus is the only way? <laughs> and I said to him, well, you know, Christianity is still the world's largest religion. That doesn't prove it's true, but that's just a sociological fact. Um, I, so, I, so, so for me, one, I believe in God. Ninety percent of the people breathing air right now believe, believe in God. So I don't think that's narrow-minded, and I believe Jesus is the only way, so that's the world's largest religion. But you as an atheist say everybody's wrong. I said, don't you feel really narrow-minded too? And so, um, again, you know, I I think of two quotes. Richard Dawkins um, said that religion is a a fairy tale for people who are afraid of the dark, to which John Lennox responded, and atheism is a fairy tale for people who are afraid of the light. I love that. (laughs) And and you know these are the kind of things they don't prove that they're true but they do illustrate this this point that uh, that you're making that any belief is going to be by definition narrow-minded in some way. Yeah, I think that's such an important point to make, to just say this is not about being open-minded versus closed-minded. It's about a competing version of ideas that brings us to health and wholeness and shalom and peace with one another. And that's where Christianity, I think, really does have the opportunity in the midst of so much heat around us in the moment to, to carve out a different kind of space. We what we want to do. I love what Tim Keller said that we should talk about the gospel, the big story of God's redemptive plan through Jesus. Um, we should talk about it in such a way that our secular friends overhear that conversation and think to themselves, "I wish that were true." Mm, I love that. Well, I know you've got some upcoming events and engagements you're doing. Uh, apparently, some youth camps coming up for you. I leave today for three weeks of back-to-back youth camps, and this is, I think, my twentieth year to do kind of a camp tour every summer. So we're excited. I take my whole family and, uh, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to it, but I would appreciate prayers from anyone who would be willing to, uh, 
to ask that the Lord uses our time over the next few weeks. Well, that's what I want to ask you about. We just have about a minute left or so, a little bit longer, but you've been doing this for so long, Dan, and, and what are some of the main things that you see emerging among young people in terms of what their needs are in the future on behalf of the kingdom? Well, you know, I, a, a good friend of mine um, who I think has been on the program before, Sam Alberry, who speaks all over the world, yeah. but Sam said, had an observation recently that really resonated with me, and that is that previous generations had to be really told that they're sinners. They they had to—that was kind of the leading message, is to make sure they understood they're sinners. Um, his observation was that this generation of young people, they have to be told that they're valuable. Hmm. And so— Whereas on the one hand, people might feel kind of morally superior and they have to be reminded that you violated God's will in all these kinds of ways. This generation needs to know that Jesus loved, God loves them so much that he didn't spare his own son. And I think that those are some real issues. When I speak to young people that I try to really hit home on God's view of them as um, a child of his for whom his son died. And I love it, Dan. That's so great. Our prayers will definitely go with you in the youth camp in these weeks ahead. Thanks for all the work that you do. And even off the air, if you want to correct some of my sketchy views of God with with a few pictographs <laughs> or something, I would happily welcome it. It's great to talk to I'll you this morning. Absolutely. God bless. Yeah, thanks, Dan. We'll take a short break and wrap up the first hour of the show and preview what's coming up with Adam Holtz, our normal Friday guest at that time, around some of the different media headlines and movies that we should pay attention to as believers. There is just something about that kind of gospel music that just raises the spirit, raises the soul. It's part of what we're celebrating today here on Juneteenth. And wherever we're coming from in our different perspectives on what is needed in racial reconciliation, where we can come together, is the celebration of the freedom of the African-American people in our country, the Emancipation Proclamation, and and setting what was just such a horrid wrong, at least the starting point uh, of of becoming right, at least the pathway uh, where we can take steps forward in freedom. So we celebrate that together. Yeah, and the fact that Juneteenth, if you really know the story behind that, it was on June 19th in 1865 almost two months after the Civil War had ended, or maybe more than that. And finally, some slaves in Galveston had learned, the last pocket of those who were being enslaved, finally learning, hey, you've been free for a while. Oh, it just gives me chills. Uh, the Emancipation Proclamation was two years prior or so, and it's like, you're free. Yeah. So, I, 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 just to, to crawl into the mindset of what that must felt like, uh, what must it have felt like for somebody who was waking up each day and greeting the the specter of slavery, uh, greeting the specter of somebody having control of their lives, that their life was not their own in order to carve out a way forward and suddenly to wake up one day and see, I am free. And of course, that points to the greater freedom of God's beautiful kingdom in which we had the same kind of reality. We're confronted with the realities and the powers of sin and death that we could wake up to each day and we are enslaved to and have no capability of overcoming. There was the Savior that came and said, here's the deal. I will set you free from the power of sin and death through my sacrifice, through my love, through my willingness to condescend out of my divinity and into your humanity, becoming subject to death and and walking it on the cross. He descended into that grave and defeated the powers of sin and hell and death once for all. All authority has been given to him on heaven and on earth. And as believers, we celebrate that freedom in as many forms today as we walk out the beautiful light of the kingdom. Up next, we've got Adam Holtz joining us at the first part of Hour 2 here on Mornings Without Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. 
If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.